0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chris's Courses in our current series, Questions in Genesis, where we're looking at the first foundational book of the Bible to see what it wants us to ask about who God is and who we are as God's people. Now, we're in the section of the book where we're focusing, you know, for a while on the family of Abraham. God is focusing on this one family so that he can bless them in order to bless the world through them. And the current recipient of that blessing is Jacob, who uh, doesn't really seem like God should be blessing, right? He's uh, a morally ambiguous, ambiguous character to say the least. You know, the story starts with him stealing his brother's blessing, stealing it from Esau, and then he has to run for his life because Esau wants to kill him. And so we see this, this again. It's it's kind of odd to us. Why is this person chosen to receive Abraham's blessing? Uh, now, as we saw last time, uh, things are not always easy for Jacob. Uh, he met his uncle Laban, and the, the trickster becomes tricked. Uh, he gets deceived. And yet, even through that, even as Laban is forcing him to, to marry both of his, his daughters and trying to take all of his stuff, Jacob grows in his family and in his flocks. And we get the 12 sons of Jacob who are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. So now we're at the point in the story where Jacob is heading back home. He's going back to the promised land where he knows he's supposed to be. But as he's going, he's expecting a confrontation with his brother Esau. It's been almost 20 years, but he knows that this is coming. And so today we're going to see how he prepares for that. But more importantly, we're going to get to one of my favorite stories. And we see the way that God is going to... Uh, call Jacob to task for the way that he's been living his life, in a sense, and see uh, how Jacob maybe has changed through that. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we'll read through most of the chapter, but uh, up to verse 21, I'm going to skip. There's a prayer in verses 9 through 12. We'll skip that for now and then come back to it so we can focus on it specifically. So let's pick up in Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And then Jacob saw them and said, This is God's camp. So he called that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have lived with Laban as an alien and stayed until now. And I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves, and I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, the flocks and herds and camels, into two companies, thinking, If Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company that's left will escape. Now Jumping down to verse 13. So he spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. And then uh, the next few verses list all the different goats and camels and things that he sends to his brother. These he delivered into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself. He said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he's behind us. So we see that God is still with Jacob despite his continued trickery, right? These angels come to uh, meet Jacob and I guess encourage him on his way. But Esau is also coming. And, you know, as as Jacob sends messengers ahead, he kind of knows that something might happen. He wants to at least let Esau know instead of Esau just finding him. So he sends messengers and they come back and say, yeah, we, we saw Esau. He also has 400 men with him and he's coming to see you. You know, like I said, it's been 20 years, but has Esau forgotten what Jacob did? That's, that's what their mother predicted, but I don't think that's going to be the case. You tend to not forget uh, when a family member wrongs you so severely. Yeah, you know, if you go back to the beginning of their story, even before they're born, in chapter 25, verse 23, we had this vague uh, prophecy or oracle that described one brother serving the other. Now, we typically read that as the older will serve the younger, right? As if, say, Esau is going to serve Jacob. But as we talked about, the Hebrew there is actually very vague and ambiguous. So, it's not clear, actually, who's going to serve one or the other. But if you read this story, well, who looks like the servant? Jacob continually calls Esau, my lord. He has his messengers refer to Jacob as your servant, He's offering gifts to him, which is something you do for a superior, right? You're not going to give extravagant gifts to someone who's below you. So, you know, at least in appearances, you could say that uh, it seems like Jacob is putting himself below his brother. Now, you could also pretty easily argue that Jacob doesn't really mean any of this. He's just doing it to, to butter Esau up and and make him feel like he's better. Uh, but Jacob maybe still thinks that he's better than, than Esau. So, you know, all this can easily be read as an attempt just to buy Esau off. But it could also be some sense of um, forgive, desiring forgiveness or uh, admitting wrongdoing. You know, what we're going to see later on is is there some sense in which he's trying to give Esau back his blessing. Um, that may be the case, but also just all these gifts, at least the way it's read here, it feels like he's just, you know, you notice he's spacing them out, right? This one servant is in charge of this one group of of animals and things, and then another one's going to come, and then another one's going to come. It, it seems like you would do that just to kind of buy time, or maybe seem more impressive, or even like if Esau is so mad that he's just going to, you know, destroy all of this stuff, you know, it's it's going to wear him out from having to do that, right? It's just kind of acceptable losses, maybe. So you know, it's up to you whether you read Jacob's action, actions here as smart, or cowardly, or, or somewhere in between you know, what is his goal? Does he want forgiveness, or does he just want Esau to not kill him? It may just be the, the, the second one, but maybe there's more to the idea of, of needing forgiveness, too. You know, the language that he uses uh, in verse 20 in particular, you know, my translation a lot will say something like, maybe he'll accept me. Uh, and, but the literal Hebrew there is, maybe he will lift up my face, which is an idiom, that implies forgiveness, right? The idea that you're sorry you've done something to hurt someone, and so you're you're kind of facing down, and they're going to lift up your face as a sign of forgiveness. So maybe he is hoping for that. But if if you just think he's trying to save his skin, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against you for thinking that's where Jacob is at here. All right, so let's go back now to the prayer that we skipped over and see uh, how Jacob feels about God and all of this. So picking up back in verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, the mothers, with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. So how do you hear this prayer? Is it faithful? Is it fearful? <laughs> or is it a little bit of both? Now, there's, there's lots in here that could point us in both directions in terms of, of how Jacob sees God at this point. You know, if you start at the end, you see the way that he's kind of reminding God of God's own commitment to him. Right? You said, I have to go back to the promised land. You said that I'm going to have these, these numerous offspring implying like, so if if Esau comes and kills me and my family, then you're not holding up your end to this. Now, that, that may seem unfaithful, but it's actually not uncommon to find that kind of language in Scripture. You go to the, the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament in particular, This is the common thing that they'll do, that they'll ask God to do something and then give God motivation. And very often it'll be reminding God of God's own character, right? You say you're a God of steadfast love. Why am I not experiencing that? Uh, A lot of times it depends on your previous relationship with God and how you're saying that to determine how faithful you are, right? Uh, I'm cutting Jacob a little less slack here. Uh, because of what we've seen of him and how he's related to God so far, you know, on the positive side, he does acknowledge God as the source of of his blessings. Right? He says, "When I came out of here, I didn't have anything, and now look at everything that I've got. I know that's from you, uh, and that that is true. Whether he really doesn't feel like he's worthy of all of that, um, that's that's up to you to decide. But at least he's acknowledging that God has been faithful to him and that God has blessed him. Now, one of the things that's still curious to me is the way he continues to address God, to address the Lord, because you see he refers to him as the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. It's not Jacob's God. It's still the God of his ancestors. If you go back to an earlier prayer that Jacob made in in chapter 28, this is still the same kind of language that he used there, uh, basically saying, if you will do all these things for me, keep me safe, bless me, do all this stuff, then you will be my God. Uh, so it's, it's, Jacob seems to have not forgotten that. Uh, he's still expecting God to do all these things and get him home safe before he's going to call the Lord his, his own personal God in some sense. So, yeah, his prayer is a little bit uh, faithful and fearful. But you know what? That's That probably describes a lot of our prayers, doesn't it? You ever been in a situation where you're really worried something bad is going to happen, and and you start praying and saying, you know, here's what I'll do if you'll do this for me, or here's why you should do this for me? We all had those moments, and, you know, I, I believe that God still hears those prayers. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to get everything that we expect in that prayer, but uh, I don't think we have to always have 100% perfect motivations in order to be heard by God, because if that were the case, God probably wouldn't listen to any of our prayers. All right, so Jacob, through all these stories, has been deceitful, a trickster. He's He's been fighting with all sorts of people and um, trying to make deals with God. So what is God going to do to really communicate what he expects from Jacob? Here's where we get, I think, the most important part of Jacob's story and really one of my favorite stories in this book. Picking up in chapter 32, verse 22. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked them, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the thigh muscle that is in the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. So this is a central, foundational, important text for the identity of the people of Israel. Who do they see themselves as, as God's people? Where did... Israel and uh, the person and the people receive that name. What does it mean to be Israel? Now again, you see at the start of the story where Jacob is at, uh, the, the most cowardly thing he does, I think is even sending his family, his wives and his children ahead of himself across the river, you know just in case uh, Esau comes on them first. Um, it shows you kind of how how far uh, how far out he is, and he's also left alone, right? Alone with his own thoughts until he's not as alone as it seems. So then he, he's involved in this wrestling match. And it's kind of mysterious who his opponent is at first. Is it an angel? Is he dreaming? So, you know, it's all in his head. Or is it God? Now, I think it's one of these stories that's it's intended to be mysterious. When he just says a man, we're, we're not really supposed to know exactly what that's referring to. But to me, because Jacob sees it as God at the end, right? He says he saw God face to face. That's how we're going to read it. That's how we should read it. Because I think this is just such a powerful metaphor. Jacob is wrestling with God, right? That symbolizes his entire life, that everything Jacob has been doing through his life has been a wrestling match against God. He's been fighting for God's blessing when he could have just accepted it. God has always been trying to bless him, and yet Jacob has always felt like he's got to fight back or push back in some way, or he's got to take it his own way instead of letting God give it to him. Now, this wrestling match is kind of interesting because, you know, I, I haven't physically wrestled with God, uh, but you would think that if God is going to come down and, and wrestle against somebody, that would be a pretty one-sided match, right? Right. What's the significance of God not overpowering Jacob here? I mean, isn't God always more powerful than humanity? What, is, what does this say about God? Uh, it, uh, it is a sign, I think, of the way that God doesn't force his way on us. You know, we have free will, and even if we're, we're not doing things the way that we could, God is going to take the time to come down there and join us in that struggle. God is going to struggle with us. Uh, yeah, of course God could just snap his fingers and make everything the way that, that God wants it. And yet God, for whatever reason, maybe probably for love, chooses to come down into the mess with us and and kind of work this out. Now, the other side of this is you, know, you look at how God <laughs> fights against Jacob here and maybe even fights a little dirty. If you do continue to fight against God your whole life, you may end up walking away with a limp. You may walk away changed, and not in every way for the better. So there is a good reason to maybe not fight God on every single thing, and yet God is not expecting us always to just immediately be doing all the things that we're supposed to do. God is going to come down and, and wrestle with us. And so as they're in this wrestling match and uh, they're, they're trying to sort this out, God's solution in all this is to give Jacob a new name, to name him Israel. If Jacob, if you go back to the start of the story, we know means heel grabber, right? I mean, literally, as he's coming out of the womb, he's grabbing the heel of his older brother, older by, you know, just a minute. Uh, But that's an idiom that's kind of equivalent to like backstabber in our language. So it's it's like supplanter or, or deceiver, right? It's like he's trying to literally grab someone else's heel and pull them down so he can take their place. I mean, that's, again, what he's been doing. He did it to Esau. He's been doing it to others. And so you can imagine he was not a big fan of, of that name. And so God is giving them a, a new identity. And so this name Israel, uh, the, the part of the name El, that's, that means that's the word for God. So we see that in lots of names. Uh, and so it probably means something like struggles with God or God strives, you know, if, if God is the active one there. But we do get an explanation in the text, which is also ambiguous. There's a lot of ambiguity in in Jacob's story. (laughs) And so it it says, uh, at least this is the New Revised Standard Version, that the translation says, You have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Uh, But you can read that another way. So one way of reading it is saying that you've prevailed or overcome against both humans and against God. Or you could read it another way as as if the name means you've struggled with God and you've prevailed against humans, which would probably be my preference because we do see plenty of stories of Jacob one-upping other people. But would you really say that Jacob has overcome God? I don't think so. I I mean, the best you can say in in this story, again, uh, which their wrestling match symbolizes, is that they can get to a draw, right, where neither one is overcoming the other. And so, you know, Israel, this name, it's, it's about Jacob, but it's also about the people. Again, we're talking about how they see themselves as they're telling this story later. Israel is defined by its continual struggle with God. That's just how it always is going to be, it seems, with them and with the Lord. And you even, again, see that symbolized in the way Jacob is talked about through the rest of the story. Jacob sometimes is called by this new name, Israel, but sometimes they still call him Jacob. In fact, a lot of times they still do. You know, compare that to Abraham, where, you know, first he was Abram and then God gives him a new name. From that point, he's only called Abraham, but with Jacob, they go back to his original name. I think that's uh, kind of showing the way that, yeah, he and the, the people, maybe even all humanity, are sometimes still deceitful, and we sometimes still struggle to be faithful. So let's let's think about ourselves in this. How would you describe your relationship, your interactions with God? Would you say that faith sometimes feels like a wrestling match? Would you say that a lot of times you do feel like you're struggling with God? I mean, that speaks powerfully to me because. Faith is not something, at least in my experience and in, in the experience of a lot of people that I minister to, it's not something that's easily settled or easily figured out. There are things we have to struggle with. Sometimes it's it's scripture and, and stories that, that don't seem to make a lot of sense or, or can make us a little unsettled. We have to work with them, wrestle with them. Maybe it's tragedies that we face. You know, the last couple of years, we've all experienced a lot. I've had some personal grief. Let me tell you I've had to wrestle with God through that. I've had to struggle to understand what God is doing in that. But that's what faith is. We don't give up. It, you know, it's it's not unfaithful to be wrestling with God. It's actually unfaithful to let go, to give up and say, "You know what, this is not worth it. It's not worth trying to figure this out. I'm just I'm out." what it means to be israel what it means to be god's people is that we stay in the fight even if it is uncomfortable sometimes it's not always sometimes it is just joy and blessing but it's not always that either again at least in my experience you know it's it's this struggle it's it's what jacob says i'm not going to let you go until you bless me sometimes that's what we've got to do We're holding on. We don't know when that blessing is coming. We don't know what it's going to look like. But we trust that if we stay in this, this struggle is where we see God face to face. So I don't know what you're struggling with today. I bet there's something. Can you hold on to that? Can you find the blessing even in this moment? And know that God is still in it with you. God's not going to let you go, even if sometimes you may want him to. So don't give up. Hold on. Keep fighting. And maybe sometimes it's about not fighting for the love that God has already given. Maybe like Jacob, we feel like we've got to do all of these things. We've got to be somebody else in order to earn God's love and God's blessing. But you're fighting for something that God just wants to give you. So can we, if that's what we're fighting, can we give that up and continue to hold on to God and whatever you're facing right now? All right. All right. So that's, that's why I love this story, as, as we often say in my line of work, that'll preach. So let's continue on in uh, chapter 33. And, and now kind of the question for the rest of Jacob or Israel's story is, has he changed? Did this encounter with the Lord do something different than all of his other encounters? So let's see how this plays out in, in his meeting with Esau. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, put the maids and their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down, and finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please, accept my gift that is that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have everything. So he urged him, and he took it. So, at the start of the story, you know, he splits up his family, and you see he's still showing favoritism, right? His favorite wife and child gets to be at the back, but now... Jacob goes in the front. Compare that, or again, early right where he sent him across the river and stayed behind. So at least there he's willing to go and, and meet his brother first. But the really the biggest surprise, I think, is that Esau is not angry. Right? He comes and they embrace, they hug, they they weep over each other, um, even after everything that Jacob did. Esau doesn't respond the way that you might expect. We also learn in this that Jake Esau has done well for himself, right? We he's saying, like, what is all this stuff that you've been sending me? I, I don't need it. I've I've done well. You know, if you go back earlier in the story, we we saw, again, another ambiguous blessing where after Jacob stole the first blessing from Esau, Isaac still gives something to Esau that, that could be seen either as a curse or a blessing. Uh, it was unclear whether he was saying that you're going to be, you know, far away from the good things of the earth or you're going to have them. Well, If you read this story, it looks like he did get blessed. He did still receive uh, a lot of possessions and and land and wealth. So if Israel has overcome with humans, as God said, why is he being so humble here? I mean, he's still kind of acting like Esau is firstborn, right? He keeps bowing down to him. He keeps calling him Lord. Again, possibly that's just to save his life but I, I think it's possible to read his actions as, as less deceptive now, that there is repentance in this. You can read what Jacob is doing here as returning Esau's stolen blessing. I think one of the reasons we, we can do that is to look at the words that he uses. You know, In verse 11, uh, the, the, again, the translation I had said something like present or gift, uh, but the actual word that's used there is, is blessing, right? Please accept my blessing that I brought to you. Um, he's given back what he took from Esau in the beginning. He's realized that God has given him his own blessing. So he doesn't need Esau's. Esau says he has enough, but Jacob says, yeah, I have everything. I have this covenant blessing of Abraham. So I don't need to take what was yours in the first place, brother. So what we see in this story is that when we stop wanting what others have, that's when we see the face of God in them. The rabbi Jonathan Sachs says it this way, peace comes when we see our reflection in the face of God and let go of the desire to be someone else. This is something we all struggle with, of envy and jealousy. Uh, We see the gifts, the blessings that other people have, and, and we just want that. We don't want to be who we are. And yet we truly see God and we see ourselves clearly and we see the ways that we're already blessed when we see the things that God has given us, when we stop trying to be someone else. Like Again, Jacob literally was doing that earlier in the story, literally trying to be Esau. But if we can just be who we are, that's when we're going to experience God's peace. As he says here so beautifully, seeing you again, it's like seeing the face of God. When there can be reconciliation, even though the hurt is real, um, God can be present in a new way in that. And sometimes it does I think most times it's going to require repentance, it's going to require admitting that we've done wrong, and it's requiring us to actually do something to make that right. Uh, But when there is always a chance for reconciliation and seeing God in others, and that mostly happens when we actually can be confident in our own identity, the identity that God has given us, and let other people be who they are too. So it seems like everything is good between Jacob and Esau, but where are they going to go from here? Uh, we'll finish up uh, starting in verse 12. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I'll go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, Oh, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. If they're overdriven all in one day, all the flocks will die. Let my lord pass on ahead of his servant. I'll lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave some of uh, the, the men who are with me. But he said, Oh, why should my lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, that place is called Succoth. And then after that, he continues on into the land of Canaan. And then finally, verse 20, he built an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So Esau wants his brother Jacob to come back with him to his country of Seir. And Jacob just starts giving excuses. Uh, He kind of implies that he'll go with them, but then he ends up going a different direction. Now, it's, it's true, like Jacob says, you can't expect, you've got this army of 400 men, Esau, and I've got my kids and a bunch of, you know, baby goats, so we can't keep up with you. Uh, but then he also doesn't want Esau to leave some bodyguards behind either. You know, it's the question of, well, is he still deceiving his brother? Is he still afraid? Was their reconciliation incomplete? You know, just because Jacob has changed in a significant way, doesn't mean that he's perfect yet. You know, maybe he could have, should have just said, "No, Esau, I I have to go back home," um, instead of implying that he was going to go with him eventually. On the other hand, Jacob is—he's supposed to go back to the Promised Land, not to Esau's country. You know, it's not clear if that's what Esau expects—that he's going to come and live with him now. And so, it, it's hard, right? It's hard to know exactly how to reconcile with people. It's there's definitely a healing moment earlier in the story, but even when that happens. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be exactly the way that, that both sides would want. Uh, in some ways, they do have to go their own separate ways. But at the end, as Jacob goes back home, he makes good on his promise. When he builds this altar, the name he gives it means uh, God, the God of Israel, right? which is his name. right? We're used to hearing Israel as, as the people, but this is his name, at least here. So he's saying now, definitively, the Lord is his God not just the God of Abraham and Isaac, but God is the God of Jacob. So there's been a shift. And as we go through the rest of the story we'll pick up next week, we'll see the ways that Jacob or Israel is still struggling to, to work this out and, and really work that out with his, his children. But we hopefully have these moments of being changed by God in a way that changes the way we interact with the people around us. It's still always going to be difficult When we've hurt people, when they've hurt us, uh, trying to treat them the way that that God calls us to, it's always going to take a lot of wisdom and a lot of work. But if we are going to continue to struggle with God, that also means sometimes we've got to struggle with other people too and learn how to live with them uh, and so that we can all live together as the people that God calls us to be. Well, thanks for joining me today. We will see you next time for uh, more of Jacob and his continuing dysfunction in his family. Thanks, everyone.